Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John, and this is the 71st program in this series. In this program, I'm beginning in the Gospel of John, chapter 13. And in verse 1, it says, Now before the feast of the Passover... When Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And then in verse 2, and supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. What we have in verse 1 and verse 2 is John expressing in a story-type style. He is expressing that Jesus loved them to the end. We have in verse 1, now before the feast of the Passover, and then in verse 2, and supper being ended. Obviously, there was a lot that happened between before the feast of the Passover and supper being ended. There was a lot that happened in between there. But John takes the moment to emphasize that Jesus loved them to the end. And this is an introduction to what he is about to describe, which is an opportunity to see how much Jesus loved them, to include Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. Again, in verse 2, and supper being ended, the devil, having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Now, there is a lot that needs to be said about Judas and the betrayal, and I will explain that at the end of this section. But for the moment, I'm going to proceed into verse 3, where it says that Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. John reveals the fact that Jesus knew that this was the end and that the Father had sent him and gave him some specific tasks, which was, of course, himself, to accomplish specific tasks. And we have now reached the point in his ministry when the reason why he came is about to be fulfilled. He is about to die for the sins of the world, and then he's going to resurrect from the dead to provide the world with the opportunity to be saved. And so what he does is he teaches his disciples. This is an opportunity for him to give his last words, to share things with his disciples while he is physically alive, because he is about ready to go through a significant transformation, and there will be a lot of differences between what happens before he invokes the new covenant and after the new covenant is invoked. 
So he is going to spend some time after this supper to speak with his disciples about a number of things that he would like them to know, that he wants them to hear. And this is a way that he expresses his love to the disciples. Now, in reference to the feast of the Passover and this supper, this last supper, it's very important for me to give an explanation concerning what this supper really is, because I have found that there is a lot of confusion when it comes to the Passover. In the law, the law states that there is a Passover meal, and this is a meal that is required by the law of God as it was expressed through Moses. This is a meal that is required every year on the 14th day of the first month of the calendar year, the Hebrew calendar year. And this was to take place at twilight, at the moment when the sun is going down. Everyone was required to eat lamb that was sacrificed on behalf of the household that is having the meal. They are required to eat unleavened bread, and they are required to eat bitter herbs. That's the meal. That is what you are required to eat by the commandment of God on this day, the 14th day of the first month of the Hebrew calendar. Now, there are a lot of people who make the assumption that this has something to do with what is traditionally referred to today as the Passover meal, also known as the Passover Seder. And that is not the case. There is another feast that begins 24 hours later, and that is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And this meal that Jesus is having with his disciples is not the Passover Seder meal that most people are speaking about these days. It is not that meal. That meal took place 24 hours later, which was the first meal of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And I would like to take the opportunity to mention that because there have been many attempts by people to study this Last Supper, to study it carefully and look at all the details to see how it may correspond to the Passover Seder. And it doesn't. There are many things that are kind of close. But the best analysis that has been done looking at this detail by detail, has concluded that the gospel writers didn't get it right. Well, they did get it right. What a lot of people are doing in this modern age is they are trying to superimpose the Passover meal that the people participated in. They're trying to overlay that description with what we have here, and it just doesn't fit. You need to wait 24 hours later, and we don't have a description of the disciples engaged in the Passover meal 24 hours later. I'm confident that they did. We just don't have that recorded in the historical record that we've got available. So it was after the Passover meal, according to the law of Passover, for the 14th day of the month, this is not the Passover Seder that was held on the 15th day of the month. That was something else. So continuing into verse 4, he rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. 
After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet, which was a way of Peter expressing to Jesus that Jesus was right. Peter had no idea what he was doing. That's what Jesus said in verse 7. What I am doing you do not understand now. And so sure enough, Peter responded by expressing the fact that he really didn't understand what Jesus was doing. Jesus warned him and he said, Look, what I'm going to do, you're not going to understand But you will understand after I'm done. And Peter would not accept that. He would not accept that there was something that he didn't understand. And he would not accept that Jesus was going to explain it to him after he was done. He totally rejected all of this. The only thing that was on his mind was that Jesus was about to wash his feet and there was no way that he was going to do that regardless of what he understood or didn't understand or whether he was going to understand later. That was of no interest to Peter at this moment whatsoever. So Jesus spoke to him in advance and he said, Look, I've got something that I want you to understand. You will understand shortly. Let me do this. And Peter said, No. So Jesus has got to be a little bit more firm with him. Jesus is going to have to be a little bit more direct, and so that's what he does. Again, in verse 8, Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. So Jesus was kind, and he was loving, and he was patient with Peter in verse 7. And then in verse 8, He told him, look, this is the deal. You either let me do this or you have no part in me at all. And with that, Peter got the point. Peter was willing to accept that. In verse 9, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Obviously, that threat inspired Peter to think a little bit more about what Jesus was wanting to do. Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. All right, now he spoke abstractly. He acknowledged that Peter was already clean enough from a physical point of view. But he takes this and he uses the opportunity to speak about another form of uncleanness. And that form of uncleanness had to do with unbelief, that there was a person there, Judas Iscariot, who did not believe in Jesus in a certain way that Jesus wanted him to believe in himself, to believe in Jesus. So he speaks subtly, he speaks indirectly about a spiritual truth while he is having this conversation with Peter. 
But this is not about Peter. This is just simply taking the opportunity to speak among the disciples and say, and by the way, I would just like you guys to know that there is another form of uncleanness that is present here that does not have anything to do with this at all, but that it does exist, and I'm going to say this indirectly in the midst of this conversation. And in this way, in verse 10, Jesus tells Peter, look, this is enough. I'm just going to wash your feet so that you can understand something after I am done. And so again, in verse 10 and verse 11, Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. That's the indirect, abstract way of referring to the spiritual unbelief of Judas. Verse 11, for he knew who would betray him. Therefore, he said, you are not all clean. Then in verse 12, so when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? And I'm going to pause for just a moment and explain to you what a lot of other people think about what Jesus did. What a lot of people believe, this is a very popular belief, there are a lot of people who believe that this has something to do with forgiveness. They believe that this has to do with the continual daily sins that we just kind of experience in our lives. In a sense, we are saved, we have salvation because of the great forgiveness that we have received for our sins, but we still sin a little bit here and there on a daily basis, and so we need to have some way of obtaining forgiveness for those little things, for those daily experiences. And so there are people who believe that God has instituted a confessional system, a confessional system in the sense that you just simply confess to God that you have sinned, ask him for forgiveness, and you're taken care of. And this is called foot washing by a lot of people. That supposedly what Jesus did here was he instituted a new way for us to live our daily lives. We don't need to shed the blood of bulls and goats and pigeons. We don't need to do that. All we need to do is apologize to God, confess our sins, and he is faithful and just to forgive our sins, which is a misquote and a misunderstanding of 1 John 1, 9. But there are a lot of people who believe that this passage speaks of that. But folks, that is not here at all. That belief that this has something to do with obtaining forgiveness from God or keeping daily accounts with God is absolute fantasy. It is not real. There is nothing here about that subject at all. But I'm taking a moment to mention this because there is a popular belief. There are a lot of people who would like to believe that this has something to do with the subject of forgiveness. But folks, there is nothing, absolutely nothing in here about that at all. And so if you ever hear anyone promote this kind of Fantasy. I want you to remember that you are listening to someone who is living in a fantasy and they have no idea what went on here, what was explained here. 
They have no clue, no idea whatsoever what they are talking about. Jesus goes on and he gives the explanation. Again, in verse 12, So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? And like I said, there are a lot of people who still have no idea because they won't go to the next verse. Verse 13, You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And then he goes on and he speaks about Judas again. What he did was he showed them that he was willing to be of service to them. He may very well have been their Lord, their teacher, sure. But that does not mean that they exist to be servants for him which a lot of teachers and a lot of leaders want to believe. There is no shortage of religious leaders who want to believe that the people who they are a leader for, that these people exist to serve them. Jesus shows right here in this example to his disciples that he does not want to relate to them in that way, and he does not want them to relate to each other, or to others in this way. That when they become religious leaders in the community, when they become apostles, those who are sent out by God to proclaim the truth, when they engage in relationships with other people, they are to recognize that those other people do not exist for the purpose of serving them. Just as Jesus has shown them this, he wants them to live their lives with an understanding that they are not to relate to others as many other religious leaders relate to their people. That's all that he did. That's all that he said. That's what this is about. And people just totally miss this. They completely missed this. They're so into this idea that now we have, we possibly have an illustration that we could maybe use in order to reinforce our distorted ideas concerning forgiveness. And there are other people that take this way off into the deep end and they wash each other's feet today. They go get themselves some basins of water and towels and they wash each other's feet. Look, folks, if you want to do that, that's good for you. You know, you can do that. But this is not what Jesus was intending to do either. He was not intending to give us a new sacrament, a new ceremony to perform with each other, where now everybody's going to have to take off their shoes and socks and get their feet in the basins, and we've got to have people who are washing each other's feet. It has nothing to do with that. There was a truth that he conveyed, and that's what this has to do with. 
He told Peter, you're not going to understand what I'm doing until after it's over and then I will explain it to you. And instead of people accepting his explanation, they're getting lost in the procedure. They're getting lost in what what Jesus did and they're trying to do it today and keep doing it. Now, folks, again, if you want to do that, that's fine. But do not, do not tell each other or tell others that this is some kind of fulfillment to what Jesus did in John chapter 13. That was not what he intended. So if you're going to do it, do it on your own. That's fine. But when you say that this is some kind of ordinance or commandment or something like that, that Jesus gave, because just as he did it to the disciples, now we have to do it to each other, it has nothing to do with that at all. Absolutely nothing. Continuing into verse 18. In verse 18, he said, I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. He told his disciples in the midst of everything that he was doing here. He told the disciples that one of them would betray them. And he told them so that they would remember later on that he knew. And this would require divine knowledge. Obviously, none of them were able to figure this out. None of the disciples could identify or figure out Which one of them would betray Jesus? They couldn't figure that out at all. Jesus knew. Obviously, from their point of view, this would require some special divine revelation from the living God himself, considering how they were so close to one another. Now, when Judas betrayed Jesus, we don't have a complete explanation as to why he would have done that. We can go to verse 2, John chapter 13, verse 2, and we can see that the devil, having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, we could say that the devil made him do it, but that's not really what happened. It wasn't that the devil made him do it, it's that the devil put something into his heart to make him believe that this was the right thing to do. There is an assumption that the devil just inspires people to do things knowing that this is the wrong thing to do and people decide to listen to the devil because they want to do something that is wrong. But this is very unusual. In general, people want to do that which is good. And the devil will tell us to do things that are good in many cases, encourage us to do things that we are convinced by him are good. Just to give you a possible example, Jesus was not asserting himself as the messianic king and waging war against the Romans. This was a belief of the people that this is what the Messiah would do. Jesus was not doing this. It could very well be that Judas was thinking that the right thing to do was to put Jesus in a scenario, 
put him in a situation where he would fulfill this messianic ideal that Jesus would engage in battle and conquer and be their messianic king there in Jerusalem. This was the predominant messianic belief in Jerusalem at this time in history. And Judas could have been the guy to really make it happen because he could betray Jesus in a way that the Romans would come to arrest him. And when they did, obviously Jesus is not going to let them arrest him. He's going to fight back. That would be the moment. That would be the time. Now we are going to have war and Jesus is going to win. This is an example of what Judas could very well have been thinking. Now, of course, Jesus was arrested and things did not turn out like that. But that could also be an explanation as to why Judas was quite depressed when Jesus did not fight back when the Romans came to arrest him. I spoke about this subject more in the series I produced on the trial of Jesus. And I would like to encourage you to listen to those programs if you have a further interest in this subject. Thank you for listening. This is the 71st program in the verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John. In this program, I was in John chapter 13, verses 1 through 19. And in this section, Jesus washes the disciples' feet. And so I spent some time explaining some of the ways that people will use these passages that I believe are incorrect. And I explained Jesus' explanation that he gave the disciples concerning why he washed their feet and what he wanted them to know and understand so that they could be more effective as his apostles. Included in what Jesus did, he also spoke about the one who betrayed him. And so I provided a possible explanation as to why Judas may have been motivated to betray Jesus. And I will continue into John chapter 13 in the next program. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net Thank you,